Welcome to the Disruptor Network Podcast. Welcome back to the Disruptors Network Podcast. And we have a really, really interesting guest today, especially for the real estate crowd. Uh, John Scheller, who's known as the frugal investor on Instagram, has flipped over 180 properties at this point. Um, he's a young guy who's done a lot in the flipping business. He also has a great YouTube channel with his wife. Um, and that's under his name, John Scheller, where they kind of talk about everything you need to know about real estate, whether it's flipping or buying or investing. But he kind of went from nothing to being somebody whose uh, net worth is in the millions now um, on his own, completely self-made. And how he did it is effective for other people who are trying to do it. So John's a great guest. He's going to be really, really informative to those that crowd that loves real estate and wants to do more or wants to get started. So without further ado, John Scheller. Ignition. Welcome back to the Disruptors Network Podcast, and we have a, a great guest today. Um, I gave you an intro that you've flipped 150 houses already, so you have a lot to speak about, but welcome, John Scheller. I appreciate you having me on. Um, and so first of all, dude, I want to tell you that your YouTube is awesome. Uh, you, know, you, you know, you and your wife have a great energy, and it really gives people a lot of insight into real estate. I know that your, your, your beginnings weren't in real estate. You kind of found it, but can you talk a little bit about... Um, just your start in this and how you got started at 21 in this business and how you kind of, I know you've been in some other businesses too, but how you started and, and, and how you've gotten to the point where you are now. Absolutely. I'll try to give you a cliff note version because there's a lot to it, but uh, <laughs> um, I've always been entrepreneurial, like spirited. Uh, I try to go to college there for a little bit and it wasn't working. I always tell people I was getting hundreds and even 105, 110s on my test and business classes, but I was failing everything else. Uh, so I was working for a company at the time that had a little bit to do with like moving and delivery service. And I was like, well, why don't I just start my own service? And uh, there's a lot more that goes into that. But that's essentially what I did. Uh, I built that up. It was a moving company and a delivery company in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, and about eight, nine years into that, uh, I sold it. And my wife and I, who, who she just finished nursing school, decided to go travel nursing. So I sold the business. We sold everything we had. And we started traveling around the country, uh, mostly to LA, um, Palo Alto, multiple places in California, Maui, Hawaii. We lived in all these places and did that for two years. And I went stir crazy. I was a super busy person, always working on something, building something, answering to customers for eight, nine years. Then all of a sudden I went cold on that. And it wasn't really the money anymore. It was more, I just needed something to work on and something to do. So I started educating myself in real estate. We're in this, at this time, we're living in California and Maui and places like that where it's super expensive to get started. So I just educated myself and went to meetings. My wife then decided to go back to nurse anesthesia school and got accepted here in Charleston, West Virginia. And I said, all right, well, that's going to take you at least three years to finish that. In that time, I'm flipping a house. So we made it a goal to flip five houses uh, in the time that we were here and had a couple financial goals. Uh, so I started researching before we got here, who's flipping houses, who's doing what. I looked them all up. I scheduled meetings with all of them. And within the first couple of months, I had met with all of them. And uh, up until uh, Andrew and Steve, my now partners, and it's just a weird story. We don't have all day here, but basically I went to a meeting with Andrew. Uh, then I met with his partner, Steve, my partner now, and was started off as what it was going to be just me a, a week of me shadowing them. We figured out quickly that I had a skill set they needed. They had all the resources and knowledge on real estate that I needed. We collided and never looked back. And we've been flipping houses for, it'll be five years uh, in March. March 1st will be five years. And we've now done over 180 houses. Wow, that's amazing. And, you know, that's a, a very specific part of the business, especially flipping houses that, you know, people see it and, and they think, oh, I want to flip a house. And, it's, and I'm sure that's kind of how you got into it originally. And it's not easy. Um, 
have, have you, now that, you know, the market's been crazy, obviously, for a couple of years, are you seeing it become harder and harder because margins are smaller and smaller on that stuff? I mean, how do you view the flipping market now compared to what it was when you started? Yeah, deals are fewer and farther between, of course, because people can just list their properties on the MLS and get, you know, $10,000, $20,000 over asking. All Everybody's um, comps went up and everybody could get more for their houses. So it was harder for us, people that come in and uh, buy these deals, they, they weren't there anymore. People just said, well, why wouldn't I just list it for that price? And they were right. You know, and so uh, you have to get creative. You have to start looking at different things. And so, you know, the thing that we have always had a niche was we're in West Virginia. Almost every house we buy has a structural problem. So we like to target houses that have a humongous problem that can't get a loan on it. These are structural roof um, drainage issues, things that a bank will not lend on. Uh, and the people don't have the money to fix it themselves. So we target that audience. So oftentimes a structural issue can cost 10, 20, 30, up to $60,000. The homeowner doesn't have that to repair it, to get it on the market, to get it sold through a traditional mortgage. So they have to sell it to a cash buyer like ourselves. So it's just about getting creative with things like that. Yeah, and that's, that's really a good tip for the audience too, because you found the niche that something you're really good at that not everybody can do. Correct. And so, you know, I, I obviously as you started in flipping properties, um, and I've, I've listened to some of your videos, you're like, I'm frugal, and I'm cheap, and I save and all this stuff, right? And I think that's great, because I think it, I think that's important to tell people, how at the beginning did you stretch your money, but still kind of make the right moves for your long term wealth, right? Right? So how did you stretch the money that the little money that you had at the beginning to do the things that you were doing in real estate? Yeah, so I, I started off what most would describe as cheap. And now I'm <laughs> frugal and frugal has kind of a negative connotation with it with a lot of people. But I'd call frugal just intentional spending. Like we still spend money, you know, I've probably spent hundreds of thousands of dollars traveling, uh, but it's intentionally spent, you know, instead of buying, you know, fancy cars and watches and clothes and things like that. You know, it's just what I tell people is prioritize what uh, there's a, a really qu good quote that says, um, don't give up what you want most for what you want right now. And I, lo I love that quote so much. And oftentimes people do that. They get caught up in the shopping or the newest gadgets or the newest things. They really, really want to take a trip this year, but they spend all their money on Black Friday or shopping on things that they didn't want as much as that trip, but they wanted them right now. They could have it right now. So right. what I tell people is, you know, the biggest things you need is a budget. You, if, you don't not, if you don't have a budget, I promise you, um, you will either fail at whatever you're trying to reach or you will lose money. You will misplace it. You will mismanage it if you are not tracking it. And so I always tell people have a budget and then prioritize what's most important to you. Write down all your wants, okay? Your needs have to be filled. There's a huge difference. You need to define needs versus wants, first of all. But write down all of your wants and then prioritize those, right? So if it's, there's a pair of shoes on there and there's also a trip to Maldives, which one's more important to you? Because very few people can have everything right? Very few people can have it all. Now, if you're making that type of money, I always tell people this too. There's no right or wrong answer to this. If you're making that type of money and you can buy all the shoes, go to Maldives and fly a private jet, do you, right? But most people will have to make sacrifices somewhere along the way or always. And so just make sure you're prioritizing what you want most versus what you want right now. Yeah. I love that, especially what you said about budgeting. And I always tell people like the first step to buying a house, in my opinion, is to, to figure out what your real budget is, you know, forget about what the banks are telling you what all that stuff, like, what is your real budget? You know, what tips can you give somebody for making a budget and setting the right one to kind of win over time? 
Yeah. So I, when I do coaching, so I do financial coaching as well. And when I, when I first get my clients, what I have them do is for 30 days, I, I, and I want you to use a notebook. I don't want you to use an app or anything like that. I know there's software out there that tracks it, but writing it down gives you accountability and, and reminds you. And it almost like gives it like a, a different feeling towards it than just plugging in an app or letting your bank app do it for you. You don't really pay attention to that. So get you a blank notebook. And I want you to write down, I want you to write needs and wants on two different pieces of paper or on two different pages. And every month you write down your needs, what you spend, or for the whole month, you write down your needs. These are things like your rent, your mortgage, your, your food, things like that. Food within reason, eating out is a want, not a need. Uh, so you write down all your needs. And then on the other page, you write down everything that you bought that was a want. And you're not going to try to like control this in any way. This is just for tracking. And then at the end of 30 days, you're going to see where you're at. Your needs can be adjusted a little bit but usually very little, right? You can't really just call your landlord up and be like, hey, I want to pay less rent or yeah. call your mortgage, all right? But you could call your cable company and lower your bill or drop cable. You could call your insurance company and get that readjusted and see if you could get a lower rate. So that can be adjusted a little bit, but usually not as much. Now your wants, your wants is where you can knock out the money, right? So if you're eating at Chipotle 15 times a month, right? You're probably going over your food budget for most people. So you need to figure that out. So write all that down and then say, okay, well, where can I cut? Right. And you start cutting these things out or prioritizing, like I said, because the goal here is like nobody wants to be miserable. Nobody wants to live miserable. Nobody wants to go forever without once or never eat out or any of those things. Right. That's not sustainable um, for a short time, maybe. But nobody wants that for a long term. So prioritize. Right. So that's how I always tell people to start with their budgets. And then you got to figure out what your goals are. What are you saving for? What's the money for? Are you saving up for a mortgage? Okay, then what's your down payment? I loved your point. Don't listen to what the bank's telling you or a calculator on the computer. They don't have to pay your mortgage. You do, okay? And they also can't foresee problems that you might see. Maybe you have a medical condition. Maybe you're, you have a child that has a medical condition. And that could be a big expense that pops up in six, eight months from now that the calculator or your mortgage provider can't see. And frankly, it's not their job to look out for that. And their job is to get you a mortgage, right? Yeah, right. So they're not gonna they're not gonna probably give you all the what ifs over a 20, 30 year uh, mortgage that could happen. That's your job. Yeah, that, I mean, that's awesome. And, and I think you're right. Just it's very simple, like needs and wants and just write it all down every single month. And you can see it plain as day what you have to cut, but that's really good, good advice because you're right with the mortgage companies and the mortgage calculators, they don't look at your groceries and your car insurance and your medical bills. Like they're not looking at any of that stuff. So that's really, really good advice. What, um, so some of the stuff I saw in your background is similar to me. I've always been kind of an entrepreneur by spirit and I've always owned businesses outside of my business, right? So I've had uh, gyms, barbershops, music companies, um, small loans, everything. Uh, and what I, what I found for myself is that anything that I couldn't dedicate myself 100% to has only succeeded to a certain level. And then I never kind of am able to push through. I know that you've had other businesses. So what advice can you give to somebody who's trying to do a lot of different things that are not necessarily in the same field? And, and what has been your experience with that? So, yeah, so this became, it's personality based for me, like so much like personal finance, but there are a lot of, I had a lot of irons in the fire and I still do. I own a gym as well. And I've owned several businesses. You know, I probably have eight LLCs right now. And that's not, you say that and it almost sounds like cool or or like bragging, but oftentimes it cannot be cool. Cause yeah. like you just said, just, just, you can have a hundred LLCs and not make any money. Okay. <laughs> so the number of LLCs, the number of businesses you have, 
Um, all that stuff is really just a, a, a number. It, it sounds cool for those who don't know better, but the bottom line is what matters the most in all of this, right? Is, is it making you money? And also important, are you happy with it? Right. So, you know, what if all if all eight of my LLCs made $10 million each? That's incredible. Right. But what if it had no time for my wife and daughter? What if I had no time to go to the gym and take care of my health? Then it's not as cool. Right. So there's a huge balance to be found here. And I think what you're speaking on and what I found as well is I've had to figure out like I, I almost got caught up to the point one time where I was making money to make money. Like it was not, it almost didn't even become a goal. There wasn't even like a goal set for it. I was just caught up in like the game of it all, just chasing the next dollar and like forming LLCs and partnerships left and right. And I, and I think what I had to figure out for me again, I think this comes back to like the budget. I had to prioritize. I had to write down in life what's most important to me. Is that my wife and daughter? Is it traveling three or four months out of the year? Is it taking care of my health? Or is it growing a multi-corporation conglomerate, you know, being like a Grant Cardone? With that is in this teach their own. There's no right or wrong answer here. But yeah. you've got to figure out that answer for you. And, and one more time to your point is like, yes, it becomes extremely difficult to focus. You can't focus 100% of your time anyway. You only have a certain amount of time but it becomes extremely difficult to focus enough time on each business to make each one of them flourish as if they're supposed to without, unless you get lucky and hire a right in each one of those companies, which is a trick in itself. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the hardest thing to find good, good people to work with that you can grow with. You know, what is, what is your main focus now today? Is it still, is your flipping business the main focus for you or is it over? Like, what are you spending the majority of your time with on, on, on a daily basis at this point? Yeah, I would say that AM Investments, the, the the flipping company with my partners, is probably, and it's for several reasons there. You know, it's um we've been we worked really hard in the beginning to get that thing where it is today. We had to go through a lot of heartache and and and, and trouble to get that, even within our partnership. If you if you've been to have partners, it's not yeah. the easiest thing. We're in a good place now. We're family, but the first two years. You know, we almost didn't make it and we had to figure it out. So with all that time and energy put in there and I love what I do, I'm really good at what I do within the company and my partnership and also my responsibility to my partners, right? Let's not forget about that. If you form a partnership with somebody and then you go off and start all these other businesses and give those more attention, that's that's not the most moral thing to do for your partners who are not, who signed up with you as this person that had more time to give, right? That's what they were counting on. So I would say the flipping business mostly, absolutely. And then, um, you know, really working on my YouTube would probably come after that as far as professionally. I put a lot of time and energy in that, both my wife and I. Yeah, and, and you can tell, I mean, you guys you guys do a really good job. And I think it's really, if you're anybody who's looking into real estate, I think it's great. And I like that you guys, I try to be transparent. I like you guys are very transparent. I know you just, you mentioned your daughter. I know you just went through that process of adopting a child, which is, is amazing. Can you talk about a little bit like, how hard that was and how it affected your life and your business for you and your wife a little bit going through that whole entire process? Yeah. So um, it was, it was about four years ago now that my wife and I said, you know, we could probably do a little bit more to help out. We don't want kids. We don't want to ever have kids or have kids of our own. Uh, we didn't hate kids or anything like that. We just were really busy and we loved our free time to travel and with each other. And I said, but we could probably, my wife had the initial idea and said, what if we fostered? And I said, I think we could do that. So let's sign up and let's foster. And at the time, uh, there was an option when you sign up to foster to go ahead and do a little bit more to be approved for adoption. It was, it was almost the same process, like a few yeah. things here. And I was like, well, well, let's just do it. You never know. We'll just go through the whole process. And um, it was about three years ago. 
um, well, no, sorry, two, two years and like five months ago, give or take, uh, that we got a phone call. We got several phone calls before that, but we got a phone call uh, and finally got a yes and a baby was being brought to us uh, who's now our daughter. And she was, she was dropped off and it was just supposed to be a foster situation. We were just fostering and we were fine with that. It was, it's difficult because you got to go at it with, Hey, this, you know, this child won't be in your life forever, but you love them as so anyway, it's hard not to. Yeah. I, 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 I joked that I fell in love immediately when she hit my arms, but really <laughs> within the first two to three months, you know, she's my daughter. I was, yeah. there was no difference to me. So then we went through a long process. So this isn't what this podcast is about, but yes, it was a process. Um, and it took about two years. And finally, um, this year, uh, just before her third birthday, we finally adopted her awesome. and she, she's now ours. And uh, yeah. And so now we're, we're adoptive parents. Well, I just, we're parents now. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, we're, we're parents and uh, that was, and how we manage that. It's difficult. The kids are, kids are an extra her. thing in your life. But what my wife and I are really good at and had to learn to be good at is time management. So if we still want to run our YouTube channels, we want to run our other businesses, we want our time for each other. Well, we have this extra person in our life now that needs a ton of time. How do we do this? Well, we're going to have to sacrifice some evenings on the Netflix. We're going to have to go to gym. This one thing that we sacrificed that was huge for us, it might be small to other people, but we don't go to the gym together anymore because we can't both be at the gym and watch the baby. So we had to split up our gym time. And keep in mind, we went to the gym together the same time for almost uh, 12 years, right? So we had to, we had to sacrifice that. Yeah. yeah. So things like that. And, uh, but it, it all comes down to, to prioritizing your time. Everybody's got extra time in the day. Almost everybody's got extra time. You will need to sacrifice some things and some leisure time if you want to be successful in your other endeavors. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I have uh, two children, that are eight and six, and I actually disclosed this to my wife the other day before I had my son who's eight. I don't think I even, you know, I think I was just having children because I, that was the thing you did, right? Like, I just, like, I don't like, I don't think that I, I knew that I actually wanted to be a father until he was here and then my daughter came after but then once they were here, it was like, it became everything. You know what I mean? Like it totally changed my perspective on, and it's funny because you're talking about time because it, it totally changed my perspective on time. Like I got much more hyper-focused on how I, I, I segmented my time because of them. So mm-hmm. do you think that in a way that it's even made you better at what you're doing because you have this other person you have to consider and, and you're much more conscious of how you spend your time? I think so, yes. I think it made me, I think it made me more efficient in my work uh, life but also it slowed me down in my work life. Like I know for a fact, I enjoy my time with my wife and my daughter more than anything else. So that was an easy thing to prioritize for me. So now when a new business endeavor or a partnership pops up, where before Tiana, our daughter, you know, I just had to run it by my wife who was usually on board and would jump in this endeavor with me. Well, Tiana doesn't have that choice, right? She can't go to all these endeavors and all these work trips and all this stuff. So it's a quick decision for me. Okay, let me, what's the partnership or what's the endeavor? How much of my time will it take? And how much time do I need to sacrifice with my daughter? And now it's a quick equation for equation for me. And so I actually, I like that, you know, it, it yeah. helped me slow down professionally to say what really matters to me. Money matters. Money absolutely matters. Being productive and having something to work on absolutely matters for me and my personality. I, I discovered that quickly when I was depressed for the two years that we took off uh, or that I took off from working. Um, but I just, you got to figure out your own personality and what matters to you most outside of that 
And it's going to be a different answer for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, you brought that up and that, that kind of brings it when you took off the two years and, and, you know, it was kind of affecting you mentally. Um, did you realize it while you were in it? Like, Hey, I need to be active. I need to be working on something to, to kind of, to, 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 I need my brain to be almost challenged on a daily basis to, to, to feel good about myself. Did it, did it occur to you before like you went back to work? Did you realize that that was the issue? Thankfully, my wife knows me better than I know myself. So she almost, she thought it would be a problem selling the company and all that. She really made me think it through, but I knew that if we didn't, if I didn't get outside my comfort zone, I wouldn't grow at all. I, the moving company was doing great. I was making good money, but I was, I was, it was intensive labor. I was on problem. almost every move. I couldn't find good people. Uh, and while we were making great money, um, I was stuck where I grew up. And I really, I'm really an advocate of, even if it's just for a year, get out of where you live, get around different people, different mindset, different ideas. And, and I was at this time, I'm 27, 28, and I haven't done that yet. You know, I've lived within 30 mile radius of where I was born. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, now, now we don't have kids. We didn't have, we weren't, we were debt free. You know, we, I had some money saved up. My wife had a good paying job and they were going to pay for wherever we lived with travel nursing. Why not? So we kind of did it. And I, and I, and I did have those thoughts. I thought, what if, what if I get bored? What if, and I was like, no, I just, I need to relax. Cause when you're working really hard, a, yeah. a relaxation or a break sounds incredible. Yes. And it did. So it, to me at the time it did. And my wife was a little worried. So, so to, to your point here, it was about the first three months went okay. And I, I, I owner financed my business. So I still, I still had uh, some things to work money on coming in. Yeah, yeah money coming in and I was still helping in it a little bit. It was giving me enough. Well, after about a year, I was bought out and there was nothing left for me to do. And that's when it was like, oh boy, my <laughs> wife's at work for 12 hours. I'm literally sitting, I'm sitting on the couch because I don't, I, we only had one car or two because we were traveling nursing. I was like, what? And I got to do something. And I, I, I got backwards there for a little bit. I, I knew when it was bad, when I was sitting depressed as I could possibly be oceanfront in Maui. And I, I had money in the keep. I want people to hear this. I had money in the bank. My wife was making good money. I had a, I have a beautiful supporting wife. I had, a, I had what a lot of people would, would be happy with, but I had nothing to work on. And, yeah, it, and you were in a perfect it, place. You were in the, like the paradise. Mal, I was oceanfront Maui paid for. They were paying for it. <laughs> and I was still not happy. Because yeah. I didn't have something to, I didn't have a purpose. Yeah, I, I came to the same realization you did a while. Because I've always been um, somebody who worked a lot. Everybody's like, can't you turn it off? Can't you turn it off? And I started to realize that that's just who I was. Like, I, I'm most comfortable in that way. And I can, like, we were on vacation last week for New Year's. The week between Christmas and New Year's is really dead for me. So we were kind of, and I was able to decompress and hang out, hang out with my family and not be on the phone. But I, the, most of the time I kind of need to be in that. It just makes me a better functional human being if I, I have that every single day. Right. So I totally get where you're coming from, which is why when you said it, it really resonated with me. Yeah. Um, I, also, I also have a really strong desire to teach. So it's like, I, I have no reason to do podcasts really. I mean, uh, but I have a desire, like no, no financial incentive really to do yeah. podcasts, but I, I enjoy doing this because if somebody could hear this message, if they could, you know, if they do something with their life that they otherwise wouldn't have done that ROI for me is, absolutely incredible i love that feeling when i get messages saying hey john i listened to a podcast or i listened to one of your posts or saw one of your youtube videos and now i've done such and such that's incredible feeling for me yeah i, I you know i think you get I, and that's a good point too i think you get to a point um and i try to tell people this all the time and i think that you know i, I want people to understand that it's genuine like 
there's no money in the world that I can make with you that would make it worth it for me. Like I have to get something out of it that's outside of money because, and then you realize at this point, you've gotten to a point in life that money's not going to make you happy, right? Like you, it has, you have to have another purpose outside of money. So I like that you said that because I, I feel the same. I have a, a yearning to educate people. And the only way you can really educate, the only way you can offer value people is if you're still actively doing stuff yourself, right? So you can't, it's hard. Um, you know, along those lines, um, what are you doing currently to kind of educate yourself? Like whether it's books or podcasts or, you know, what could you recommend to people to be helpful to educate themselves? Yeah, I, I could do better myself. And it's actually um, kind of a new year's resolution for me this year is, is to do um, more reading, you know, and, and I do have to do the audio books. I have a really bad ADHD brain. Like it's, it's uh, I was diagnosed at a young age and I fought it my whole life and I put, I've had to adjust a lot of things accordingly and put a lot of systems in place to help me with that. And reading's hard for me. Like if I read a page, I have to read it four times. Okay. Yeah. Because my mind's elsewhere most of the time. So I need to need to educate. I'm looking over here at my pile of books over here right now. And actually <laughs> when somebody gives me a book, I keep it. I'm, I'm looking at them all over here. I keep them all and I won't get rid of that book or donate it or give it to somebody until I've downloaded the audio version of it, the audiobook version and listen to it. Right. So it almost holds me accountable. I like I can't get rid of this book until I read it. If I won't physically read it, then I have to listen, listen to, it, to yeah. it. So that YouTube is an incredible source. I mean, there's so much knowledge out there. It's we are spoiled rotten from what our what our parents and grandparents had to do. They remember if they wanted to look something up like what we're talking about here today, they had to go to the library. They had to go to the library or they had to travel a far distance or they had to somehow network through a through a house phone and meet meet the right investor. I can get on Instagram today and find 15 investors in my area, okay. right? And meet with probably 10 of them. Okay. And the, or you could just download a podcast like like yours and listen to all this knowledge that people are dropping from people that are actually doing it um, and that aren't really selling to you. I'm not selling anything to you here. I'm literally just dropping knowledge. So it's really genuine and it's you podcast youtube books of course but i always say the most important thing to do excuse me <coughs> yeah. the most important thing to do for me that i ever did was get around the right people okay when i met when i went out of my way i got extremely fortunate with andrew and steve i absolutely did and to fall into and to get i don't say fall into i worked my way into the system but to find the system and get in the system that just to be happening the place where i lived but guess what i had to take action to reach out to them they wouldn't have known me from adam so i had to say hey so and so i see you're doing it i see you're doing what i want to do what can i do to incentivize you to meet with me and share that knowledge right and everybody has a need and you can figure out a way to fill that void somehow, some way. You've got to be creative sometimes, but get around the right people as soon as you can. I'm not saying, I think there's a, there's an exaggeration out there that you got to drop all your old friends. No, but you got to get new ones. Yeah. Okay. So if, if your old friends aren't taking you or not talking about what you want to be talking about and, and, and doing the things that you want to do, then you need to introduce some new, more people into your life and hang out with them equally. Um, otherwise you, you're probably not going to have much momentum. Yeah, and there's a million good points in there. And I think that, um, by the way, I, I, I went to, I changed the audio books uh, about 18 months ago, just 30 minutes a day, and it was life-changing. So, and I do it while I exercise, I kind of just like task, but it helped. So definitely, um, but the thing you said about new people, um, I think that's important that you said that and people should take recognition of that because you need to meet people as the person you are today, right? Like the person you are now is different than the person you were 15 years ago. So I think that's a really good point you said. Like, like when you meet people, 
as you are now, I'm sure that they treat you differently than they would have as if it, if it was 12 years ago. Yes, absolutely. And so it's, it's just like, I think leaving some friends behind will help stabilize your life today, which is important, uh, especially if they're friends. Yeah. Um, but if you want to accelerate your life forward, I think you need to get around some people that will pull you in that direction as well. Just like bad friends can pull you backwards, great friends can pull you forwards. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I had to figure that out myself. And, and that was my biggest thing. The books and all that stuff gave me a base knowledge. Um, but I needed somebody to show me that it could truly be done and almost help, help guide me. And, and I found those people. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. Um, I, I recently gotten very heavy into short-term rentals over like the last like two and a half years, boy, I have a decent amount of them. And I know I've seen that you added that into kind of what you're doing. Um, what do you think about that market? Where do you think it's going? You know, uh, how invested are you in it that you think that it's, it's, it's something you should add, other people should add? So yes, yeah, so actually the YouTube video you saw, we do have uh, a couple that were starting here in Charleston, but the YouTube video you saw was, uh, um, it was actually an Airbnb in Gatlinburg, Tennessee that I just went and it was a million dollar Airbnb that I went and filmed for my YouTube channel. Oh, cool. uh, on my YouTube, I show a lot of a before and after house videos. Uh, but if I don't have that content to film for that week, sometimes I'll film like an abandoned mansion or I'll film a really cool house. Well, I was following this guy. Have you, have you followed uh, Mike and Jill Elefante on, uh, I, I've seen them. I don't follow, but I have seen them. Okay. So Mike, Mike and Jill, uh, they did a lot of the right things at the perfect time. Okay. I'm not discounting them in any way. And they would agree with this. They, uh, they invested in Airbnbs about two years ago, down around COVID hit Airbnb started taking off last two years, Airbnb short-term rentals exploded both for rentals and investors investing in them. Um, and then on top of that, the Gatlinburg market was one of the best in the, in the, in the nation. Okay. So they bought, uh, his numbers, he does all this on his TikTok. You can look him up, Mike Elefante. But that house I stayed in, um, they bought it for $400,000. They put about hundred grand into it with furniture and repairs and everything like that. And I think that they cash flowed hundred grand on that property. One property uh, last year. And not only that, but it appreciated to $1 million yeah, because awesome. of what investors would pay based on the revenue it's bringing in. So they paid 400, put 100 into it. Get these are rough numbers, but he'll, again, he'll, he'll walk you through all of his Airbnbs. But they, on four or five properties, they cash flowed. This is after all expenses, made $250,000 in, in cash flow on five properties. I personally know people with 100 units that don't make that money. Yeah, I mean, I I've found that the Airbnb rentals, and I have a lot of long-term rentals for a lot of years, but I found like the Airbnb rentals, um, I'm making two to three times as much on the Airbnb that I was on, on long-term rentals. Listen, and you know, that's the glamorous side of it. The, the hard side of it is that it's, it's, um, it's a lot more work. <laughs> <laughs> and like you, I have, I have help from my wife and, and she does all the bookings and that kind of stuff. Cause I think if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, Cause it's just, you know, I, I came home yesterday and she was like, this person that's staying for a month is driving me nuts. They messaged me five times. If they would have messaged me five times, they probably would have gone unanswered. So, you know, I think that that's the other side of it, but I, I do I do see it. So I'm happy to hear that you've kind of heard the same things around that. Yeah, um, so I always tell people, instead of de dealing with one tenant, now you're dealing with 30, 40, 50 plus on one yeah. property in a year. Yeah. And so you've yeah. got all those different personalities, right? And uh, everybody's going to treat the house differently. Now, the payoff is there, but the work is usually there too. Now, if you can find a perfect system where you've got a great property manager and you never hear a word, then absolutely go for it. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, 
more money always equals more problems. And that's just, that's the reality of life at this point. Most of the time, I always tell somebody, there's no, no such thing as truly passive income. Although I would argue that I, that I do a lot of private money lending personally. That's and I think that's, that's about as, about as passive as you can get other than keeping up with your lender or if it ever default, I've never experienced it, but that would be work. But other than that, you're gonna have to invent something and find a royalty check. And, and I'm sure with that, like, because you have so much experience with flipping, that you understand what, what a good investment is and a bad investment is. Like, I'm sure your worst case scenario is like, look, if I take over this project, I can do X, Y, and Z with it. Absolutely. And I just know how to protect myself. I, I'm very good. Um, I knock on some wood here, but I'm very good at vetting whom we lend to. I always do uh, reference check, not background checks, but maybe I should, but I do reference checks. You know, I'm usually in part of these like high dollar um, real estate groups that if you're paying to be part of this, you're probably legit, mostly legit. And you've, and I also like finding people that my friends or people that I know have lent to before and they've been paid back. So it's got like a track record. So if, you, if you're brand new, you know, and you've never flipped a house before and you're not in any groups or know anybody, that's why I encourage people to network. But if nobody knows you, I'm probably not going to lend you on your first deal. I don't, I, I know it sucks. I know it's hard to get your first deal, but I'm not one to take that risk. Yeah. Um, but if you've done four or five deals and I know the guy that was lending to you, guy or girl that was lending to you before um, and you paid them back one time and they give you a good reference, let's do this because I'm yeah. protected by a deed, of, deed of trust anyway. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's that's really good advice, too. And I, and I tell people who try to do their first flip. I'm like, it's going to be hard to get somebody to give you the money without having any experience. And I know it's hard to get experience without the money, but, it, you know, that's kind of where the and I think that even lenders at this point now have gotten a lot more stringent of, of who they're allowing given the money to, whereas a few years ago it was a little looser. Yeah. Or if you can't get the money, then you need to start. If you can't get the money in normal terms, you know, you might have to give up 50, 60, 70% of that first deal to entice someone to lend to you. Yeah, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll start considering a deal at 50, 60, 70% of the profit, uh, as long as the numbers make sense to me. But even then I'm taking a risk because my numbers yeah. are, your numbers are based off the project going smoothly. And if you're, you're, you're inexperienced, then I might, the 50%, what's 50% of nothing? Yeah. Nothing, right? And, and, that, and that's a good, that's another good point. Like, what have you seen um, now over the last two years when it's, you know, government was closed down and, and municipalities were closed down? Like how much prob problems have you run into as far as getting permits and getting work approved and stuff like that over the last couple of years? Is it, and has it changed any way you do that at this point? So our market has its pros and cons. So our market, we don't have those problems. You know, it's really small. You know, I live in a, we're probably, I think we're in the, I know we're in the capital of West Virginia, but West Virginia has a really low population and so does where we live. And so, you know, we got the, we, we have the, uh, the city inspectors tech, we could text message them. Yeah, okay. Right. So we live in a different area, but pros and cons. Uh, we have very little um, uh, competition as well, but we don't see $150,000 flip margins. Okay. You know, the most we've probably ever seen in a home is probably 90, a hundred grand. Uh, on flipping a home. So you do that out in California, that's a low margin, right? In California, they're seeing two, 300,000, but you got to buy it for 2 million, right? We're buying houses over, we bought a house the other day for seven grand. Okay. So there's a, uh, it's different markets and different yeah. things. So to your point on that, not a lot of problems with that. Our biggest issue with COVID and all the stuff going on was a uh, material, material, getting material and the price is being through the roof. Yeah. So that, that, that's pretty much nationwide is what you, everybody's seeing with that. And, yes. and it's funny because you watch the financial news and, and they talk about inflation every single day, inflation, inflation, inflation. And I keep saying we're in inflation. Gas is higher. <laughs> costs are higher. Food is higher. It's already happening, but we you keep trying to. So 
that's a whole different conversation that we could probably go on all day about. <laughs> Knowing everything you know now, um, what would you do if you had to start over as an investor, right? Like if you had to start completely over again, like, but knowing what you know now, where do you think you would start in real estate? Um, would it be the same place you are now or, or how would you do it differently? I, if I had to do it over in hindsight's always 2020, I would have done, done earlier what I did with Andrew and Steve in meeting with the right people sooner. My personality is I'm, I'm, a, um, I'm risk adverse. Okay. Now I'll take calculated risk all day. I, you know, I, it, it's hard to get, um, you know, how do I say that? I'll just say, I'll just say it and hopefully nobody takes it the wrong way. It's hard to get to my financial position without yeah. taking risk somewhere. Okay. Sure. So I'll take risk, but I am very risk adverse in the fact that I will sometimes overanalyze, overanalyze or overcalculate, calculate a deal before I, and I'll miss a deal. Okay. So I need, I need someone to be the gas to my brakes. And so getting around the right people helped me do that. Um, and now I always joke that I'm more like a clutch because my partners are always gas pedals and I have to be like, well, let's just, just hold on a second, right? <laughs> I'm not a break anymore, but I'm still going to be a clutch, okay? <laughs> but I would get around those people sooner that if you're not going to push yourself, get around people that will push you, um, educate yourself um, in as many ways as you can. Um, give something a try for longer than three to six months. Okay. I don't care if this is day trading, although I, I advise against that, but do what you want, but give, if a lot of people get caught, caught up in this analysis paralysis, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know if I want to do rentals. I don't know if I want to do flips. I don't want to know if I want to do subject two. do one of them. Okay. Just do one of them. Okay. Learn it, get real deep in one of them. And you'll find out within a year or so of if you like it or not, but at least you've done a deal. The one thing you most will end up is it'll be a year later and they still haven't done any of them. So just do, right. do something, do one of them. Even if the numbers don't look fantastic, just get it out of the way. The first deal should be an educational expense anyway. If you lose five, 10 grand on your first deal, that's a good deal. You just paid 10 grand for an education that some people pay way more money for through a huge course or flipping uh, course. Or think about how much people pay to go to college, 100 grand, 150 grand, you just paid five, 10 grand for that for an education that will probably make you more money than any degree. And uh, you learned it quicker, yeah. with under a year. No, that's, I mean, you're right, there's going to be an educational cost to everything. That's, that's the best thing you could tell somebody, right? You're going to pay, you're going to pay for it one way or the other. So I, I think that's amazing. Um, I know you're, you're educating people. And I think your YouTube channel is a great place for people to go. But where would you recommend people to go to kind of get more of what you're uh, more of what you're putting out is YouTube the best place to kind of catch you guys? Yes, yeah, so you can find me in multiple places. So YouTube is just my name, John Schuller, just J O N, uh, no H. And then on uh, Instagram, the Frugal Investor. That was just a play on me being frugal. And <laughs> uh, and then lastly, my wife and I, and then we brought in two partners recently, the FI couple on Instagram, uh, Josh and Allie. We have this group called More Than Money, and we meet two to three times a month. On, on Zoom, just like this, and everybody joins in, and we do two topics a month, and then an open chat each month, uh, and so the topics this month, so like next, uh, I believe it's the 14th, uh, don't quote me on that, but the next more than money, I'm doing private money, how to lend it, and how to borrow it, and then the one after that, we have a guest speaker talking about how to, how to invest for your kids, you know, your 529 plans, Roth IRAs, things like that, and then, uh, so we do that every month and we just to help people reach financial independence and get that information from people who are actually doing it. And so that's why we started that group and it's through Patreon. That's awesome, dude. Uh, and again, 
even for, I'm in the business a long time. I'm an experienced investor and looking at your stuff, I really got a lot of, inf I learned, right? So I think that if, you, if you're just looking to get into real estate or you think you want to expand it, it's a great place of knowledge. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, you were great. Thank you so much. And I got a lot out of it. And I, you know, I'm looking for your stuff in the future and I hope we can connect more in the future. Absolutely. Let's do another one of these podcasts in the near future. If we get feedback from this one and people want to know more about a certain topic, I'd be happy to jump on here, on here and dive into it with you. That's awesome, dude. And, and th thanks again. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. What a great question John was today. I, I mean, I'm somebody who's business a long time as far as real estate and real estate investing. And, and even I got a lot out of it. And just his personal journey um, from what he went through becoming a father and his other businesses is really, really important for those who are out there who are, who are trying to get into a business, being an entrepreneur, or even get into real estate and start their business. So great listen. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you check out the Real Estate Disruptors podcast on all platforms, Apple, Spotify, Anchor. Um, we're on YouTube. Check it out. Check it out on our website, the Disruptors Network, on my personal website, raftybooknow.com. You can catch it and hope to talk to you guys again soon.